0: My forebears arrived in New Zealand in 1862, coming over on the uh, Matilda Wallingback and the Hanover ships from England. Uh, they were pioneers in the new land, clearing away bush and scrub, scraping out a new beginning for themselves. Ultimately aspiring to build a community of faith alongside the native people of this great land. And it simply began with hard work, patient and enduring ministry in the word of God, and faithful witness to their children which has been passed down to the generations through a series of farmers, cheesemakers, homemakers, teachers, pastors and lay preachers. And indeed the gates of hell shall never prevail against the church and his beloved. And the church on this earth and in heaven shall continue on in eternity. And It's good to be with the brothers and sisters this morning, bringing an offering of praise to Almighty God together with the faithful in Whanganui and across the globe, we join in the chorus of praise with all the saints who have gone before us to reign with Christ our Saviour in heavenly glory. So as all God's children, we're making a statement that the devil and every worker of destruction are on notice. Their time is rapidly coming to an end. They'll be dealt with quickly, decisively and for all time, ushering in the completion of God's plan a kingdom of righteousness that will never end, where there is joy and celebration and praise before the only powerful and majestic and loving triune God. Don't we look forward to that time? I'm entering in this morning and next week to the tail end of the series on Revelation. The letter from John, the apostle to the churches in Asia and subsequently to the church worldwide. The passage we're looking at today is from First Corinthians fifteen twenty four to twenty six. Then the end came, and when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Well, at least these verses they summarise our text from Revelation twenty verse eleven to fifteen. It's great to see the harmony between Revelation and the rest of Scripture, I think. And so our text about the great judgment day, from chapter 20, says this. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Father, we ask that your spirit move powerfully among us this morning to spark a change in our hearts by your word. May you cause us to be as lights that burn brightly for you in this land. In Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, let's, let's recap the context of our passage. There's two main issues in the churches in Asia that they are basically struggling with. Either they're compromising in various ways, or they're suffering. They're accommodating, or even practicing evil, or they're victims of it. And uh, so this passage of judgment is speaking to all Christians everywhere, either for a shake-up, to shake awake those who are falling into deception, or to comfort those who, despite their faithful endurance, seem to be getting smashed by the bad guys. So here are some examples. Uh, to the church of Ephesus, Uh, John writes this in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. Remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Basically meaning, you will not be a church in my presence if you do not return to your first love. Other examples of People who are compromising their faith uh, include false teaching and sexual immorality, etc. But this this one is really subtle, I think, having having moved away and lost lost that sense of the first love, loving Jesus. That's what's all about, loving God. And this is this is the subtle one. How easy is it to drift, to slowly become cold towards the Lord? But then the ones on the other hand who are who are who are suffering at the hands of the evil ones. To the church of Smyrna, John writes, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, and you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. This is a this is a, a, a message of encouragement to this church who is suffering at the hands of the workers of destruction. Now in our passage uh, we read about death in Hades. Death in Hades who are thrown into the lake of fire. Now Revelation is a, is a fascinating book. It's a story. It's a storyline where there's different uh, characters who come into play and uh, we, we track their, what, what happens to them through the book. And, uh, and Death and Hades is actually one of the first bad characters that we see uh, in Revelation. Uh, so if we turn to chapter 6, verses 7 to 17, uh, we're, 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 we're back in that place where the seals are being opened, and uh, and at, at the opening of each seal, there's something that happens. And uh, and so when the, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who is seated on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Basically, John is is returning to the, to, to where death and Hades was introduced, and uh, one of the slides up there. I was going to show you how how our first first we have death and Hades introduced and then in chapter twelve we have uh, the dragon and Satan and then in chapter thirteen we have the two beasts the beast and the false prophet and then what happens in, in uh, chapter nineteen um, we have the rider on the white horse who comes and uh, and destroys his enemies and uh, the the beast and the false prophet are then thrown into the lake of fire okay so it's judgment day right there it's it's the last battle it's the Battle of Armageddon and it's Judgment Day right there. The, the, the beast and the false prophet thrown into the lake of fire. And then, uh, last week, uh, you guys heard about the, uh, the, the great battle again when, when you have the dragon who, who then rallies all the kings and all the nations together in this massive battle against the church. And it, and it says, just as he gathered the, the, the nations around the, the holy city for battle, Fire came down from heaven, and they were consumed, and they were destroyed, and the dragon was then thrown into the lake of fire. But it's like before he even gets started, you know, he's destroyed. You know, God comes and uh, and and he's thrown into the lake of fire. And now we're at this. We're, we're, we're back with this last enemy, death and Hades. Death and Hades, who's been given authority over over all the earth to, to kill with the with the sword. You know. And, uh, and then, but Death and Hades itself is thrown into the lake of fire. And so, so we, we, we're seeing this pattern, okay, about how the bad guys are introduced, and then one by one, you know, they're knocked out. And they go to the lake of fire. And so even back in chapter 6, where, we, here we are, where Death and Hades is introduced, we're, 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 we're approaching the last battle. Uh, and, and we're seeing some massive connections as well between these two texts. Like, for example, uh, in, uh, in chapter 20, we read how um, earth and sky fled away and there was no place found for them. Okay? And, uh, and in chapter 6 here, it says, The stars of the sky fell to the earth, and the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Doesn't that sound familiar? We're hearing the same, the same, the same words coming along. Earth and sky vanished. Everything's been removed. It's almost as if, you know, the the the, the workers of of destruction and evil that has so tainted this this land, and so tainted creation, is now being destroyed. Everything that's been tainted is is being destroyed. There's no place found for it. It cannot stand before the presence of the Holy God, the One who is sitting on the throne. And then these guys, they're, they're, they're calling out. Hide us. They're calling out to the rocks. Hide us from the one, from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of, the, of their wrath has come, and who can stand? You know, it's, it's, it kind of sounds like Philippians chapter 2 when it says, Every knee will bow, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And this is that day when, when, when people are confronted by the Lamb of God, and now just realize how sinful they are in the searing presence of God. And so there's Judgment Day all the way back there at, at chapter 6. And then 19 as well. And then last week where Satan's been destroyed. And then now where it's being filled out again. And, uh, and just like we read in, um, First Corinthians 15, this is the time when Jesus is putting all of his enemies underneath his feet. And the last one to be destroyed is death itself. And if you can imagine, kind of like uh, Law of the Rings. Has anyone seen Law of the Rings? You know, where you have those, those dark riders with those, those faces of darkness and they're riding on their, on, on their horses and they're chasing after the faithful few you know, who are, who are, who are trying to do the, 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 um, the work of the righteous, basically. And uh, you have these riders coming along and you can imagine the first one like death who's just trying to wipe out as many good people as he can. Actually, good or bad, they don't really care. But they're just slaying people. And then coming behind them is Hades. And it's almost like he's got this bag and he's just bagging the ones that death is killing. Hades is the place of the dead. Sheol in the Old Testament. And uh, so you have death coming along. Uh, killing people Hades bagging them behind it's almost as, as if death is personified like a character and and so Revelation is painting for us this picture so that we can see in perspective um, what's happening to us our place of, of the, the church even when uh, bad things are happening when we're seeing our own loved ones being killed and that's what's happening the church of Smyrna they're, they're seeing their own loved ones being killed there is there, there was suffering in the first century, and there's even greater suffering for Christians today. And I want to read a, uh, just a wee story about a man called Polycarp. Anyone heard of Polycarp? Polycarp. He was, uh, a disciple of John, who wrote Revelation. And, uh, and we're going to read about, about his death, because it relates quite powerfully. An elderly man in his 80s sat at a table eating dinner. Polycarp knew his life was in danger. A group of Christians had just been executed in the arena on account of their faith, but Polycarp refused to leave Rome. The Romans were executing any self-proclaimed Christians and pagans were betraying those they knew to be Christians. After the recent executions, the crowd in the arena had chanted for Polycarp's death. A renowned follower of Christ and Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp had become a Christian under the tutelage of John the Apostle. Recently the Roman proconsul had been looking for him for days. After arresting and torturing one of Polycarp's servants, they finally learned where he was staying. The soldiers came into the house, but instead of fleeing, Polycarp calmly stated, God's will be done. Polycarp asked for food to be brought to the soldiers, and he requested an hour of prayer. And amazed by Polycarp's fearlessness, especially for a man his age, the hardened Roman soldiers granted his request. He prayed for two hours for all the Christians he knew, and for the universal church—that's us—and for the sol- and the soldiers let him. As Polycarp entered the stadium, several Christians present heard a voice from heaven say, "Be strong, Polycarp, and act like a man." And because of his age, the Roman proconsul gave Polycarp a final chance to live. He just had to swear by Caesar and say, "Take away the atheists." Because at that time, Christians were called atheists for refusing to worship the Greek and Roman gods. Polycarp looked at the roaring crowds, gestured gestured to to them and proclaimed, Take away the atheists. They're the ones. The proconsul continued, Swear and I'll let you go. Reproach Christ. Polycarp turned to the proconsul and boldly declared, Eighty-six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul urged him again, Swear by the fortune of Caesar. But Polycarp replied, Since you vainly think that I'll swear by the fortune of Caesar, as you say, and pretend to know who I am, listen carefully. I am a Christian, the proconsul threatened. I have wild beasts and I'll throw them to you. I'll throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp replied, Call them, for we cannot repent for what is better or what is worse. But it is noble to turn from what is evil to what is righteous. Then the proconsul threatened Polycarp with fire, but he responded to this, and hear this, You threaten me with a fire that burns for an hour and is soon quenched, for you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and the eternal punishment stored up for the ungodly. But why do you delay? What do you want? Finally the proconsul sent a herald to the middle of the stadium to announce that Polycarp was confessing his faith as a Christian. The crowd shouted for Philip, the Aserah, to send a line against Polycarp, but he refused. Then they shouted for Polycarp to be burned. They moved him to the marketplace and prepared the pyre. Polycarp undressed and climbed up. But when they were going to nail him, he told them, Leave me like this, for who gives me to endure the, fo- enjoy, enjoy the fire will also give me to remain on the pyre without your security from the nails.' So they did not nail him, but tied him up, and bravely Polycarp prayed as the soldiers prepared the wood. O Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, through whom you have received knowledge, through whom we have received knowledge of you, God of angels and powers and all creation, and of the whole race of the righteous who live before you, I bless you that you consider me worthy of this day and hour to receive a part in the number of the martyrs in the cup of your Christ for the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and of body, and incorruptibility of the Holy Spirit. Among them, may I be welcomed before you today by a, a fat and acceptable sacrifice, just as you previously prepared and made known, and you fulfilled the deceitless and true God. Because of this and for all things, I praise you, I bless you, I glorify you through the eternal and heavenly High Priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, through whom we glorify you with him and the Holy Spirit, both now and for the ages to come. Amen. The Romans had threatened Polycarp with beasts and with fire, but nothing would make him turn against Christ. After his prayer, the men lit the fire, which sprang up quickly. But even the fire wouldn't touch him, as it formed an ark around Polycarp's body. The Romans didn't know what to make of this. In the end, the Romans commanded an executioner to stab him. A great quantity of blood put out the remaining fire, and Polycarp bled to death. Isn't that amazing? Amazing story. This passage in chapter 6 it says, Under the altar were the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Many faithful Christians were dying because of their faith. And Revelation is painting a picture for us that these these saints now perished, souls in heaven, they have they, they, they have shared in the first resurrection of Christ. And that's part of what that thousand year reign is talking about. It's, it's giving us a window into what is happening, even now, between the first and the second coming of Christ. And these souls are in heaven. They're now reigning with Christ. And here in chapter 6 we read that these souls, they're crying out and they're saying, When will you avenge our blood? When will you avenge our blood? And this is what we're reading about today. When people will stand before the throne and those who have killed the saints will stand before him. Matthew 10 verse 28 says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Now I think Polycarp, he had, a, he had a good, strong fear of the Lord. He knew that his body was going to be killed that day, but he knew that some fire temporarily burning his body now would be nothing compared to the fire of hell to come. And so he didn't let that scare him. He was actually more afraid of what God could do than what any man could do. So something that we can learn from this passage is having a healthy fear of the Lord. And actually, in Revelation 14 verse 7, uh, we hear about an angel who's proclaiming the gospel to the world. And this is what the angel says. He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and all the springs of water. It's almost like, you know, Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And this is the reason why. First, we fear God. First, we understand that that we're sinners before a holy God, and we, we cannot cannot stand before His presence as we're tainted with sin. First, we understand that, and then we will. We'll, and then we, once we, once we we know that that there's no other enemy that can destroy soul and body like God can in hell, then who else is worth fearing? And who else is worth living for but the Almighty and the All-Powerful? You know, some as we talk to some people and we, we, we might be talking about Jesus sharing our faith with others and, uh, and they might say, yeah, but um, after we're dead, nothing happens. Or, you know, we'll just die and Take it as it comes, something like that. This passage is telling us there's no security in death. There's no security in death. Death and Hades will give up the dead. You know, the dead, the dead will not just simply go down to rest. Death and Hades will give up the dead, and they'll, and, and then they'll be judged uh, before the God who opens the books. They'll be judged according to their deeds, and in death itself, will be thrown into the lake of fire. We realise that our good works apart from Christ all amount to nothing in this passage. We realise that he is fed. We realise that when he is fed, no one else can stand against us. Our passage it says that that books will be opened And they'll be judged according to the deeds, according to everything that they have done. But there'll be another book that's open, the book of life, of the lamb who was slain, and those names who are written in it will be saved from the second death. Most religions, they're, they're all about um, working our way up to heaven, being as good as possible, and even even this is a, this is a this is a sort of a, a cultural reality uh, in New Zealand you know people seem to assume that my good works are going to outweigh my bad works and everything's going to pan out fine it's going to be sweet and uh and so this is it's not only uh um the the perspective of of um of other religions but of secular new zealand as well you know it should be sweet because i'm not that bad and so we we try and work our way up to heaven but but what we're learning from this passage is that is that no one can stand before the Holy God, you know. In, in chapter six, you know, crying out to the rocks, save us, you know, protect us, shield us from the Lamb who was slain. Who can stand before Him? You know, our sins are going to condemn us, uh, and so the only hope is in the Lamb who was slain. Our only hope is in Him, and so this is this is this is our proclamation. This is the gospel that we proclaim. That there is only hope in Jesus. God has made a way. He has come down to us. It's not about trying to work our way up to heaven. It's about what God has done for us. He has come to us. The Son of God and Jesus Christ laid down his life in our place so that we might be saved. And then, then, when we have received the grace and the mercy of God, come to us then in joy and in gladness we then reach up and offer praise back to God and the praise is our whole life our whole life of praise to God every day every moment we look to him and we want to honour him with our whole life and this is the gospel that we preach Blessed are those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, for they will be spared from the second death. Let us think for a moment about uh, who who is here. Who is here at this judgment day? It says all those great and small were before the throne. And uh, Revelation talks about both the righteous, small and great. It also talks about the uh, the evildoers, small and great, um, and uh, and so based on that, it kind of could sound as if you both have the, both have the righteous and those who are damned before the throne of God here, uh, sort of this all inclusive thing, and books are opened and they're judged according to what they've done, and that sort of thing. But uh, as we as we look at the passage, uh, we see we see this recurring word, the dead. As I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Uh, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead. Now the sea, um, sea is always in Revelation referring to um, the, the, the place of the evil ones. So we have the, the, the dragon who, who stands at the beach and then the beast comes out of the sea. Um, on the sand and uh and then we have you know th- those who, who gathered around the church in that last battle that where the dragon had had gathered the kings from all the nations and gathered everyone around the the holy city and they were they were as numerous as um, as sand um, uh yeah sand was it sand uh, as numerous as oh it 's right here <laughs> uh they were um, there is, there are, there are, The number is like the sand of the sea. And so now we have the sea giving up the dead, and uh we have death and Hades giving up the dead. And uh, and it, it seems, it seems like because of these things, maybe it's only the the ones, the ones who are who are without Christ, who are standing here before the judgment throne, where they will be judged according to all their deeds. Through the souls of those who have been resurrected for judgment. Now we read about this, this the same event in uh, Daniel chapter 7 as well. Uh, Daniel 7 verse 9 and it says, Now as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took a seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. So, judgment scene, flames and fire. And a thousand thousand served him. Maybe those saints who had been restored to life. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. And so this is kind of uh, referring back to Daniel 7, uh, using the imagery from there, um, back here as well. So judgment awaits. Now it talks about the second death, uh, which some people try and argue is is terminology for um, annihilation. Uh, this is a time where finally um, people will be destroyed. at a death and they're dead and there will be no more. Um, but from places like um, chapter 14 where we read of, um, of final judgment here as well, sort of in verse 10, uh, chapter 14 verse 10, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he'll be tormented with fire, and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image who worship uh, and, and, and whoever receives the mark of, it, of its name. So it's, it's definitely, it's, a, it's an ongoing and an enduring torment for those who, who realise that they've, they've, they've missed out. And uh, they've, they've missed out on the goodness of Christ and uh, and they're living in this judgment. And it continues on, verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those to keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Here is a call for endurance. And so when we read about the last judgment, we read about uh, the second death. And the, and the torment for those whose names are not written in the book of life. It is a call for endurance. So we understand the fear of the Lord. We understand our need for a Saviour to be receiving His mercy, that we can't work our way up to heaven, that we have to receive from Him alone, because only only He can make a way for us. So it's a call for endurance. So let us consider where we stand with Jesus. Is he my first love? Or is my heart merely full of religion? Is my heart on fire for Jesus? Have I, have I allowed the, 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 the flames of love for Jesus to die and to, to become cold? Are there areas of my heart that I'm unwilling to surrender Is there is there unforgiveness or bitterness in my heart the talk of of judgment in revelation is, is is a shake up it's a shake up for all of us and so we don't we don't want to miss that we don 't want to miss the shake up you know we we, we, we want to heed the 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 call to return to our first love. So let us consider where we stand with Jesus today. But as we think about the judgment before the throne, let it compel us to generously share the good news of Jesus with others. This place is so horrible. It's so terrible. This, this, this never-ending torment is something that we wouldn't wish on any of our enemies. We don't want anybody to go there. Now, for us, for us that's rather easy to say, isn't it? You know, because maybe, maybe the biggest enemies that we have are people who have hurt our feelings. <laughs> you know, maybe we've, ex- maybe, maybe we've, we've experienced, um, something actually pretty major, where someone's in prison, for something that they've done, for major offence against one of our family members or something like that. And we have this cry in our heart for justice. We want justice. We remember the souls of those who have been martyred. They are crying for justice. But in many places, the, the, the abuse... Is so severe that they're crying out for God to bring judgment on these people. But even then, even then, even when when, when Polycarp was dying himself, or, or or so many of the other martyrs, they're praying for those who are persecuting them. You know, just like Jesus, Father, forgive them for what they do. They know not what they're doing. They're blinded by The deceiver. We wouldn't wish this on anybody. So let it compel us to generously share the good news of Jesus with others. Everybody is going to be judged for their deeds. But our Father, the just judge, has made every provision for them. His own son stepped down from the bench to go to prison instead. The sentence is paid how joyous would it be to tell someone that their years of credit card debt had been cancelled? How joyous would it be to tell someone that the groceries that they've just scanned have already been paid for? What a greater joy to to say to someone that no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter the thoughts you've said, the deeds you've committed, God has made provision for you. God has made provision because of his great love for you. What a greater joy. Romans ten fourteen says, How are they to call on him whom they have not believed? But how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, God has put this mandate in our hands to share of his greatness. But also to share of the coming judgment as well, just like the angel, fear God. For judgment has come. And when, uh, Paul was preaching at the Areopagus in Acts 17, he, he, he first related to them. But then, do you know what he talked about? He talked about the coming judgment. The judgment to come. This day before the throne. And he said, you don't want to be there. So he's calling everybody to repent, even now. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing through scripture. Uh, what it means to, to evangelise, to talk to people about the faith. And, 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 and one of those important factors is talking about judgment and saying we need to repent before God because one day we'll stand before him and we have to give account of our lives. But it's so glorious to share of the way that God has made provision for us no matter what we've done. Robert Moffat, the person who inspired the great uh, missionary David Livingstone said this, In the vast plain to the north I have sometimes seen in the morning sun the smoke of a thousand villages where no missionary has ever been. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this to those people who, uh, who thought maybe they weren't called to be a missionary. They weren't called to evangelise. And he said this, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you, go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Isn't that good? So as we think of Judgment Day, let it compel us. Let it compel us to generously share the good news of Jesus. Uh, Last year, in April, Nigel and I, the pastor from Central, we went to visit, I went to the Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis. And uh, actually, one of the best things about our stay there was uh, the family who we stayed with. And uh, it was just really great to be hosted by them um, and to, to see their faith in action. And, uh, one of the guys there, his name's, uh, Lincoln Brill, the, the, the father of the home. And, um, he showed us the a little testimony tract that he had made. And it was, or the tract that had his testimony, oh, goodness. was a tract that had his oh, testimony, uh, and then had, had, uh, the gospel, uh, that he had written down. And, uh, he said his goal was, um, was to, uh, attempt to give the track out to at least one person a day. At least one person a day. And uh, you know, he he had let um, you know, the the thought of judgment compel him to generously share the good news. And uh even so much that he had he had written the story down and he would hand it to people everywhere and he'd have his phone number on there and he just wanna to, wanna to, want to talk to people. And that really inspired me. And I thought, That's awesome, I want to do that too And uh and so let Lincoln continue uh, to inspire even you guys today, to inspire us all. Um, and I think as we, as, as we think about um, that the horrors of judgment, I, I actually find that encouraging um, to share the faith. I find sharing my faith less Scary, I think, when I think of judgment. Um, when I when I think about um, the um, when I, when I just think of of, of 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 eternity versus versus the small time that we have here now, and eternity and judgment versus versus you know so someone might say no. Okay, we might get rejected. Someone might say, you know, you believe in fairy tales, whatever. You know. But but what's that? What's that compared to what's to come? And lastly, let this sort of judgment let it comfort us should we face immense rejection or even persecution. I read a story of a family in India, the missionary family, they're called the Staines, the Stain family. And they were there, they were working with a leprosy mission over there. And, uh, and, and the account of the people that they ministered among was so beautiful. They, they talked about how we've seen the light of God in the face, faces of this family. The way their young kids would play with those, uh, who had, um, who they'd been ministering to. And, uh, just the love and devotion to them and the way they served. And uh, and and every every month, uh, father would make this trip with his two boys. They'd go north, uh, a couple of hours drive, uh, where they they administer in another hospital up there. And um, and this one time where they went up there, e- each time they went there, they would, they'd sleep in their car. And this one time that they were there, um, a horde of Hindus uh, at at twelve thirty at night um, came running, yelling, screaming. Um, towards the car and they were saying one thing um, the stains will die the stains will die and so there was, there was heaps of them and they had they'd, um, boarded up or, 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 or um, yeah boarded up the doors of the surrounding um, houses so that the people couldn't get out and help and uh, and then they they bashed the windows they stabbed them through the car and then they just lit the car on fire and um people were um, hearing the screams and um, the account says that um, they were just huddled together in this car. Just just horrific. Just horrific. Uh, uh, someone who was such a, a passionate follower of Jesus, a worker for good in his kingdom, bringing the gospel to India. And then this was the, the response from uh, a group of Hindu people. But one day, they will stand before the throne and they will have to give account for their deeds. The souls of those who have been martyred for their faith cry out in heaven, when will you give justice? When will you give justice? So let it comfort us in the face of immense rejection and even persecution that god is just god is just no deed will go unpunished but at the same time we should be so weary ourselves that we should and we should lean so heavily on christ our savior because we are guilty too and we are dependent on his mercy let's pray Loving Father, we're grateful that you are a just God but I think we're even more grateful that you're a merciful God for we depend on your mercy. We're grateful that you have made provision for us so that when the time of judgment comes, we can be excused. Father, we pray that you would, you would you would compel us this morning to be people who who can't wait to share about your goodness with others. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to to consider and to bear in mind and to continue to pursue you as our first love We ask that the flame of our passion for you would not grow cold, but would continue to burn brightly. That together, as as the church in Whanganui, we would see souls saved. We would see people coming into your kingdom. We would see the gospel go forth, and people saved from the second death. So we ask that you would would empower us by your spirit in the powerful name of Jesus to be your workers in this harvest. In Jesus' name, amen.